Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stove Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for being here today. If you are looking for a new car or crossover, check us out at ConsumerGuide.com, where you'll want to see our Best Buy Picks. That's a handy list that will help you begin your search for a new ride. If you're not in the market for a new car or truck, you'll want to skip to our blog because that is where the fun stuff is. Later in the show, we'll talk more about what's going on at the CG Daily Drive blog. But first... With me today is the editor-in-chief of Auto Exotica magazine, Jill Simonillo. Jill, how's it going? It is going very well. Mm-hmm. How are you doing today? I'm good. By my count, this is week six without donuts. Yes, and so I have to apologize to you. Um, I kind of made donuts over the weekend, uh-huh. but I ate them all. Yeah. Yeah, so... And then- and then my oven broke, so I couldn't make more. So yeah, maybe next week. Story. So you've got, you had donuts. <laughs> I had donuts. They were really But no good. donuts at showtime. And, and more importantly, the WCPT studio is crumb-free for yet another week. It is, in fact, crumb-free. At least we All assume because right. we haven't been there. Exactly. Also <laughs> with us today is Damon Bell. He is the senior editor of Consumer Gut Automotive and the president of the Midwest Automotive Media Association. Damon, how's it going? It's going well. Jill, I'm very curious uh, for more specifics about those donuts. What Were they chocolate? <laughs> Did you make icing for them? Were they baked? I, they, Again, they I were, can't get my head around the idea of a baked donut. They were baked. They were gluten-free nope. and dairy-free as well. Ah, um, ah, those but, aren't donuts. Yeah. But I have to say, my husband gave them like an 8 out of 10 rating. He liked them. Mm. He said I could make them again. And I was thinking next time I would probably dip them in chocolate. Okay. Yeah, so what did you use? Your... Did did you use cricket flour or uh, almond flour? What was the almond flour? Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing about Jill's husband's review of her donuts. He's trapped <laughs> in a condominium with her. <laughs> <laughs> he he is trapped, but he is um, more honest than um, not. So if he didn't like them, believe me, I've made a couple of quarantine meals that he was like, "Don't ever do this again." So, um, like, uh, what I put, um, honey, I put a honey glaze on Sam and he was like, yeah, don't ever do that again. So uh, you would be oh, honest. Come on. That sounds great. It was great. Yeah. I, I have seen evidence that your husband is not at all shy about voicing. Uh, he will, he will give you the unvarnished, his unvarnished opinion on various, uh, uh, culinary adventures. Yeah. So eight out of 10, like I, I will, once my oven is fixed, I will make donuts and I swear I will share next time. Sounds awesome. good. All right. <laughs> after the first break, after the first break, we welcome Brian Spawn of Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. Brian is FCA's vehicle electrification manager. He's here to help us make sense of things like mild hybrid, 48 volt hybrid, and plug-in hybrid systems. This is a conversation you don't want to miss. But first, Jill, you have news. I, I do have some news. Um, so this this is kind of a an interesting story, I think, that I... I kind of, and I I will be very curious to hear your opinions, but I think this would have happened anyway. Um, A lot of people are kind of spitting it that it happened because of COVID-19, but I would argue that it was going to happen anyway. So the the story is this, uh, GM's Maven is dead. And if you aren't familiar with Maven, don't feel bad about that because I don't think many people were. Uh, But basically Maven was kind of like Zipcar um, or, you know, depending on what your geographical area is, car to go, you know, something where you can basically um, pay, pay a subscription fee. And then it's kind of like a rental where you can say, hey, I need a car on this day. And then you can go and drive the car and then drop it back off. Insurance, gasoline, everything is included. And, uh, it was so it was kind of like those things, but you only had GM vehicles in this fleet. And um, they announced last week that it is, uh, it, you know, it was put on hold, and now it's like just officially dead. Yeah, Maven was interesting. There were two parts to Maven: Maven and Maven Gig. And the experiment was taking place in seven cities um, across the country. 
And, and as you mentioned, it was only General Motors vehicles. But mm -hmm. another component of this was that they were, General Motors was um, putting a lot of uh, bolts, the Bolt EV electric vehicle mm -hmm. from Chevrolet into the fleet. So they were getting something else out of this program, and that was a lot of miles on the Bolt for test uh, for testing. But one of the interesting things about this that we should we should make note of is that every manufacturer is dealing with, more or less quietly, the fact that they believe interest in vehicle ownership is in decline. So everyone is looking at different ways to still produce vehicles and still generate revenue on vehicles. And Maven was one of those things. Maven gig was really interesting. This was General Motors opportunity or, or effort to provide people who, who drove for Uber or for Lyft or for Grubhub vehicles that they can use on, and, and pay for on a weekly basis. Uh, it was a little bit expensive, and the primary vehicle in it was was the Bolt. The price was between $200 and $300 a week, which seems like a lot. But if you got yeah. a Bolt, it included charging. Um, hmm. It looked like user, if you look at reviews, users were very unhappy with the system. There were some things that weren't entirely covered and things like that. But yeah, Maven, uh, as Jill mentioned, and I think she's right, the coronavirus was just sort of the icing on the cake here. Yeah. Uh, it was going to probably close down and be remodeled in a new fashion sometime down the line. Yeah. And, and I mean, I believe Chicago was one of the um, and I think it was 17 cities that at its peak it, it operated in. But um, I, I think Chicago was one of those cities. And frankly, I never saw Maven anywhere here. Did you? Yeah, it, it, I did not. And I agree, I agree with you uh, with the point you made earlier, Jill, in that the Maven was not uh, booming and and super successful even before the coronavirus hit uh in looking at some of the the news stories about it being officially shut down i saw reference to i think it was in may of 2019 they were already scaling back uh mm -hmm. in some of the cities that they had initially launched in and chicago was one of the cities that they pulled out of mm -hmm. uh so yeah it was not uh going like gangbusters even before uh coronavirus hit um but Tom, as you kind of mentioned before, there's there's more than just dollars and cents value that that GM was getting out of this, and I'm sure that it was a valuable experiment for them that that gave them a lot of useful data. Um, again, some of that data has been completely uh, the the playing field has been completely changed now that uh, COVID-19 is here and, and is going to be affecting things in the future. But I would wager that GM still probably considers it a worthwhile experiment. Sure, they do. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and one of the interesting things, too, is what they get from this is, is logistical experience, administrative experience, and to some extent working with dealers because dealers again, do not want to be cut out of this process. If right. a manufacturer is going to sell fewer vehicles, but instead put them into sharing type uh, programs, dealers are cut out to some extent. But if you can incorporate the dealer into the program, you can use their lots, their service personnel and things like that, then everything's just a little bit more copacetic. So we'll see how this plays out. But yeah, this is very interesting news. And, and a lot of manufacturers have tried this too. BMW is, I think, on its third or fourth program that they're working on. Uh, in different places in different countries. So no one knows how this stuff is going to work yet. But we do know that people are probably less interested in buying cars than they used to be. Maybe they will be more when the virus lifts. So we'll see where this goes. Yeah. But good story, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, I, other, the, the, the other thing to mention, too, is uh, Maven is not alone in in kind of going belly up. There are other car sharing services and and. Uh, programs of a similar stripe that are equally being shut down or have already uh, been halted. So it's the way the trends are going for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I also, I mean, I do think that COVID-19 is going to play a role in how any of these companies rebuild or um, metamorphosize uh, because I mean, we've, we talked about this on previous shows, the idea that people who hadn't normally considered buying a car are now considering buying a car because they don't want other people's germs that might be in, you know, an Uber, a Lyft or a car sharing service. So, I, I mean, I, nobody has answers right now about what, what this means or what's going to happen, but um, it'll be very interesting six months from now to look back at this and see where all of this is. Absolutely. Right. All right. Hey, Damon. Yes. Damon, you've got a car review to share with us, don't you? 
I do. Yes, we uh, recently had through our consumer guide test fleet uh, a large luxury sedan that I would wager uh, many listeners would not be familiar with uh, because it's the product of a recently launched luxury brand. Uh, and that vehicle is the Genesis G90, uh, a full-size luxury sedan that is the Genesis brand, which is Hyundai's recently launched uh, luxury division. Uh, they officially launched the Genesis brand for 2017. And the G90 was one of the first vehicles that they uh, launched the brand with, along with the slightly smaller G80, uh, also a large sedan. And for 2020, the G90 uh, gets a heavy refresh. It's not a full redesign, but the bodywork is all new and, and the interior has been uh, significantly revamped as well. And an interesting vehicle uh, and the concept of a premium flagship luxury sedan that's also uh, a bargain in many ways that uh, can be as much as $20,000 less than some of the traditional European mm -hmm. competitors is an interesting one. So, um, yeah, we, Tom, you, you drove this vehicle as well. Uh, we talked a little bit about it. You, you seem to be pretty impressed with it. And I guess I was as well. What, what were some of your, uh, uh favorite things about it? Yeah. Um, Damon, I was very impressed by this vehicle. The G90 is a fascinating car. We we remember when Genesis was just the G80, which was a midsize or large midsize car, and the G90. And it seemed like it had two vehicles in segments that were in decline uh, from a brand that was brand new and probably not fully appreciated for luxury vehicles. So uh, Genesis hasn't done much until very recently. But this redesign solves a couple of problems that I think Genesis was dealing with with this car. And one of them was incredibly anonymous styling. Uh, exactly. The yep. huge grille, these giant lace wheels, uh, this more dramatic fastback styling. The vehicle is, is no longer anonymous, and you can no longer call the styling uh, derivative. This is a good-looking car or just an interesting-looking car. If you don't like it, it'd still be cool to drive. Uh, but the other problem that I think Genesis dealt with in both the G80 and the G90 was, was was ride control. There just wasn't a great balance of ride and handling before. It always seemed like rough roads could upset things, and that that is no longer the case. Um, the car now comes with with um, an adjustable suspension, so there's like an eco mode, a comfort mode, and then a sport mode. I would leave it in sport mode all the time because it had the best composure, but this feels like a every other European car now. It feels very well underway. The steering might be a little bit light, but it, this is the best riding Genesis product I've driven to date. Other than that, it's just an incredible value. Um, the car we drove was about seventy-four grand with destination and stuff. But uh, one of the nice things too, you mentioned, Damon, that this car is about twenty grand less than competition from Germany. That doesn't include certain options because it comes standard with heated and cooled front seats which would probably be on a Mercedes, you know, part of the dealer or driver convenience package. Like for $3,000 option. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so right. yeah, this, this strikes me as a great value. Um, I think that if you're not super brand conscious, but you are value conscious and you do know what luxury is, this might be a nice car. Jill, you wanted to say something? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I haven't driven the, the G90 yet. Um, I, the last time I drove it was in 2017 when it first came out, but... I, I can't wait to drive it because I've always been very impressed with uh, Genesis's ability to take, um, you know, a car that probably could cost $20,000 more and pack so much into it for not a lot of money. And, and I, you know, for every Genesis that I've driven, you know, they've done a really good job of including the luxurious amenities and, and, you know, I've always had a hard time trying to figure out you know, why people are so averse to looking at this vehicle. And, you know, the interesting thing is, or looking at anything from Genesis, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Tom, if you're not brand conscious, you know, I think that people will like the G90 better than they like the, the 7 Series. I have a friend who, when he was looking for a large sedan about five or six years ago, well, not even five or six years ago, it was probably right when the Genesis came out. He was looking for a new sedan and he was like, you know, I'm looking at a BMW 7 Series, but it just seems like a lot of money and all the options. And, you know, to get it the way I want it, it's going to cost $100,000. And I said, you know, yeah. go look at Genesis. 
And, and he was just like, I'm not going to look at Genesis. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> go look at Genesis. And um, he like drove one and bought it immediately. And he's now on his second Genesis G90. Wow. Oh, That's wow. how much he liked it. Damon, you wanted to say something? Yeah, the couple a couple other things I think are interesting about the G90, especially in comparing it to uh, the, some of the traditional European, you know, your BMWs, your Mercedes Benzes. I would wager, I would say that the the Genesis is probably a step behind uh, those flagship European sedans in offering the absolute cutting edge uh, sure. technology features. But in some ways, that is a good thing because yeah. uh, sometimes the Germans can get a little into the weeds with just engineering <laughs> for engineering's sake. And yes. that comes across in very complicated, complex systems that are a nightmare to, uh, you know, for the second and third owners of those vehicles. How many times have you seen some luxury sedan sitting like a low rider because the air suspension has gone awry? Um, and also in terms of, infotainment control systems sometimes they can be very complex and it seems that the koreans do a pretty good job of keeping things uh simple and straightforward with uh touchscreen and and infotainment interfaces the other thing i think is interesting uh that that shows the this vehicle's korean home market roots is it's my understanding that in its home market a lot of the VIP and executive type customers, they do not drive their cars. They are chauffeured around in them. Mm -hmm. And so the rear seats of the flagship large sedans of Korean manufacturer are uh, extra large and extra luxurious. So that's uh, another uh, uh, aspect of, of the vehicle that carries over here as well. It is, yeah. So we, we had the lonely Genesis showroom that for a couple of years was <laughs> just the G90 and just the G80. And what was it? A couple of weeks ago, Jill saw the GX80 uh, midsize crossover. They've also got the G70 small uh, sedan now, which is very sporty and well-regarded. And they've got a smaller G70 or GX70 crossover coming too. So they went from two to five vehicles in a fairly short period of time. Um, yeah. and, and I think maybe we'll talk a little bit more about what we think the future of Genesis is, but we've got to wrap things up right now. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Brian Spawn of FCA, that's Fiat Chrysler, about their electrification plans. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Uh, my name is Tom Appel, and I am publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. This is the time of the show where I usually remind you to follow me on Twitter, and this is no different today. I am car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. Give me a follow. I promise not to bore you. Okay, he is Fiat Chrysler's manager of vehicle electrification. In that capacity, he is responsible for managing and developing vehicle electrification systems for FCA. He holds a master's of science degree in automotive systems engineering from Michigan University, and he is our guest today. Welcome, Brian Spawn. Thank you. Brian, thanks for being here today. It's a pleasure. Now, I, I assume that you are someplace safely ensconced and away from germs that might be wafting around. Yeah, they, they uh, in the PR environment, uh, continue to, to give me a little bit of grief saying, you know, we'll, we'll let you out of the closet for some of these, uh, these, these talk discussions, but uh, keep on your path of what you do, uh, but stay safe, of course, while doing it. <laughs> so, so this is literally letting you out for the day. Yeah, this is my uh, this is my get to go out free time, I guess, for for uh, <laughs> all intents and purposes. Well, Brian, we appreciate you joining us today, and we appreciate you shedding some light on the word electrification. Um, it's a word that buzzes around the auto industry a lot, and I don't think a lot of people know what it is. I think when people hear electrification, they think Nissan Leaf or Chevrolet Bolt, and of course, there's much more to that. Can you tell us a little bit about what electrification is and what it is that FCA? is doing in that regard yeah sure that's uh that's a great area that uh you know i think there's a lot of confusion that that exists on that as as you suggest 
Uh, at, at FCA, we have uh, a number of pillars uh, and platforms that we have within our electrification uh, environment, uh, spreading from our our most basic form of what we refer to as is 12-volt engine stop-start, where we have the opportunity to, to use a traditional powertrain with the electric 12-volt uh, starter capacity to offer savings of, of fuel at at engine off uh, at zero speed. Uh, you move up a little bit in, in electrification through through what we have is our e-torque system, uh, both in the voltage that we use uh, and, and the actual capacity of the system, uh, offering us a 48-volt system in the e-torque family with the electric motor generator now doing the, the stop-start functionality uh, adapted to more conventional engine uh, architectures. Moving up again, we have uh, our plug-in hybrid like we see in the Pacifica uh, minivan and uh, that offers us a fully integrated system uh, at high voltage capacity including uh, plug-in charge capability and then finally uh, the most electrified products uh, full full elimination of the, the standard propulsion product with uh, battery electric uh, family optimization uh, that we have in, in like our Fiat 500. Got you. Now, I, I think that for a lot of people, when they hear 48-volt system, they probably come up a little bit blank. Can you explain why that system is called 48-volt? Sure. In, in any system, uh, typically what we do is we describe their their uh, their attribute as, as like a fully charged uh, condition. So in our, our eTorque family, uh, the claim of a 44-volt system is is what that battery potential is when it's completely fully charged uh, in the system. So we operate in uh, in a, a typically charging, uh, charge-sustaining style operation without any off-board uh, electrified uh, uh, grid power in those products. And uh, we, we then use and optimize a, a portion of that battery range for the ability to uh, operate the vehicle for extended uh, life capacity as a result. Interesting. Now, you've, been, you've mentioned the brand, uh, the eTorque brand, and as far as I know, it's available on Jeep and Ram products. It's also my impression driving the Ram 1500 and the Jeep Wrangler with eTorque that, that the stop-start system is just a lot smoother um, on those vehicles than it is on other vehicles. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, sure. Let's let's talk for a moment. You know what what was eTorque's mission uh, overall? And uh, sure. eTorque's mission was to provide customers improved fuel economy, deliver optimal drivability, enhanced ownership value, and offer increases in product capability without sacrificing any of the performance. And and as you alluded to, uh, the the team uh, offered a you know a button for 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 folks that uh, want to have the ability to shut it off and and they effectively Joe. gave me the job <laughs> of uh, of ensuring that no one ever uses it and that's uh, something we took to heart and uh, and offer that as a seamless solution so that uh, you know those those functionality attributes that in some cases people weren't asking for are actually something that turn into delightable. Uh, behavior within the product now that you come to a stop and it's just now, you know, completely quiet and silent. And we try to do that uh, operational transition uh, completely seamlessly in the eTorque family. Interesting. Now, the Ram 1500 is available with two eTorque systems, right? There's one of, attached to the, uh, the Pentastar 3.6 liter V6, and that's really the standard power plant. And then for the V8, you give people the option of going with uh, the the Hemi or the Hemi with eTorque. Do you know at this point what the take rate is on the eTorque as an option? I, I don't. I know that uh, you know as as we continue to build the product, uh, there's been exceptional market uh, adoption to it, and uh, they continue to ask me, you know, how how much more can we get uh, in in terms of our suppliers and and. Uh, that that itself, I, I again don't know the the exact split on that, but I know that you know every time they're they're asking me for can we build more, that that means that uh, that the market has adopted us as is acceptable, and uh, that that family of of uh, methods, those those mission statements have rung true with with the buyers and that that uh, product line. Interesting, Jill, you had a question. 
Yeah, um, just kind of a follow-up to a comment. Um, they, Tom and Damon give me a really hard time because uh, auto stop start feature on any vehicle is pretty much my nemesis. And um, I am that person who will shut it off every single time. And, and so you made an interesting statement. You said basically your job or your goal was to ensure that nobody ever uses that button. And, and so I just wanted to kind of go into that a little bit and, and talk a little bit about what you've done to make that better. Because like my, my personal pet peeves with the system, not your system, but an, a stop-start system, I haven't driven anything with eTorque yet, um, is that the HVAC system either mutes or shuts off when the engine shuts off. And then sometimes there's this lag between um, moving and when you put your foot on the gas pedal. So um, those are my two big complaints. I don't know if those are everybody's two big complaints, but I just basically wanted you to talk a little bit more about what you did to ensure that nobody hits that button. <laughs> sure, sure. That, that's, uh, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. Those are what we typically get for, for complaints is delay, harshness, and, uh, and, and a lack of, of comfort, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it being that, uh, you know, we're an integrated uh, system in the control behavior of the product, uh, there, there are times, you know, in ideal situations, you know, some people even drive windows down with the HVAC uh, system completely off. Uh, there's times that we'll operate in an auto stop up to up to 10 minutes in duration, uh, allowing that fuel savings capacity, uh, you know, extended operation. But if you're in a hot environment or a cold environment, uh, we've done uh, significant measures to try to blend the the airflow and the the actual heat capacity and the recirculation of the product with our improvements in the in the product line for the ability to cycle air within the system such that most people don't notice it. And and that's a tough thing to say. Uh, not not everyone is completely in tune with its uh, doing sort of those things, and yet there's others mm-hmm. that, you know, any any transition in, in airflow or air temperature is then very perceivable. So we've tried to find a good balance of, of what uh, – fuel savings we can offer while maintaining, you know, a customer acceptable level of comfort while doing that. One of the things on delay uh, that that was one of my passion elements of design was in the form of if if you measure somebody's uh, rate of their eye opening and closing, you know, the the blink of an eye, how long is a blink of an eye? Well, it's about the same duration as it takes a e-torque system to to go from engine off to engine on and the initial torque to the wheels uh, allowing you the motion of the car. So you can literally think of it as you take your foot off the brake and uh, within a blink of an eye, the wheels are energized with initial torque to launch the product that allows us to, to get into that realm of anything longer than that and you can perceive it. So those are those are areas that we focused on uh, being able to to take kind of the human element, uh, you know, its imperfections of perception and, and hide within those limits of that such that people don't really recognize we're doing these things. Cool. Well, I can't wait to, to drive it and test it out. I will probably be your harshest critic, so I'll, I'll let you know. I'll circle back. <laughs> I'd be happy to take on the challenge. I, uh, I think uh, many many a, a journalist has, uh, has had the same moment, and and uh, they frequently look at me, you know, when we had the opportunity to do it, you know, in the, the actual vehicle, and they look over and they're like, so did it do it? You know, well, look at the fact. It's, it's, it's non-zero or it is zero, and, and they're just amazed at how well integrated that one feature is. And we've done that in not just only the the operation of, of stop starting the vehicle, but, but in what we try to typically describe as six modes of, of uh, hassle-free driving, uh, extended to, you know, initial acceleration, the, the shifting of the transmission, as well as the regenerative braking. Those same type of attributes are, are going on in those other modes, uh, you know, behind the scenes such that uh, you're getting other other effective value and and fuel savings opportunities in those modes as well. Very cool. I, like I said, I look forward to trying it. (laughs) So, so, so Brian, we, the, our discussion so far is kind of centered on e-torque, which is primarily 
a Ram and Jeep product. Now, I would I would argue, and I don't think anyone would argue against me, that Ram pickups and Jeeps are about as American as vehicles can get. But FCA is a global company as well, and you guys have Fiat and and Maserati as well. So I'm curious. In, in regards to the electrification strategy of the company as a whole, are you following the same path in foreign markets and the other countries that, that Fiat plays in, uh, or, or, or is your strategy differing uh, in international markets outside of America? Yeah, and, and certainly I can't get into all of the details, but you know I can share with you some of the, the high-level uh, takeaways that we have, which is uh, much like our eTorque system, it was a a specific uh, adaptation to a to a, like our legendary Hemi engine, uh, as an example, is a is a try to make the Hemi better type of a situation. There, there's other areas uh, where, like in our our Grand Commander uh, in in China, it's it's really a repurposing of our our. Uh, E-flight torque uh, transmission system in the Pacifica for a, for a Jeep product line, and uh, so in in those areas, you know, being a global company, it offers us the opportunity to repurpose uh, some of the work that we've done. But very very much the core of our electrification activities is is targeted value, and that targeted value uh, for a pickup truck owner and a in a high volume application may be different than in a niche vehicle or a a specific uh, marketplace. So each area of our electrification pillars are, are centered around a number of of specific objectives in in that area and for that consumer. Sophia Chrysler had shown at CES this year a, uh, a trio of vehicles under the Jeep brand known as 4xE uh, plug-in hybrid vehicles. There wasn't a lot of detail on those available at the time, but there was the tantalizing promise that we were going to learn more about these vehicles along the line uh, as the auto show circuit progressed this year. But of course, thanks to COVID-19, no auto shows. Any sense on when we might hear more about those vehicles? One of the things, and, and I can't share uh, a lot of details on that because, you know, it's, it's they, they, they want to do those with a proper unveiling, uh, and, sure. and I'm, I'm not at liberty to, to provide that at this time. But uh, one of the things that, that we're still very much, uh, you know, doing, uh, I'm obviously working from home. We've referred to that as smart work in our, uh, in our development process. <laughs> Uh, the work continues on, uh, and and a lot of those uh, unveilings uh, were, were, of course, and, and have been very public uh, activities, which is, has caused a number of uh, of reevaluations of how do we do this. And and I don't know that that I have any of the the insight on what that means, but uh, clearly those. Those teasers were an attempt to say that we're on the cusp of, of transitioning, and uh, we have publicly in the past made made announcements that that by the the 2023 time period, there's about 30 new products that are associated with a form of electrification uh, still still in the works, and and the work has not slowed at all for me. In fact, in some areas, it's it's gotten even more uh, more effective because uh, rather than having these other distractions in the day, we're dedicated to, uh, you know, the development process and the enhancement of some of our virtual tools uh, to make these things even better. Wow, so you've got a lot in the fire going on. Um, we're going to have to have you back to talk about 4xE when you are free to do so, but we do appreciate your time today. Um, Brian, if people want to learn more about what FCA is doing with electrification, where's the best place for them to check? Well, for for the most part, you know, we we've got a lot of uh, brand material that exists within our our uh, current product marketplace. You know, for the the eTorque family, et cetera, you can you can go to the online tools and and order through those processes, and and ultimately even get a vehicle uh, without ever you know technically interacting with with another person, so to speak. Right. Uh, so those are those are some of the tools that exist there, and and uh, continuous you know communication will come through you know forums like yourself with announcements that we're trying to offer the the public on these products. Well, cool, and we do have a uh, 
We do have a Ram 1500 eTorque review that we will share this week. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. We'll have to have you back on soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. Hey, Jill. Yes. Hey, Jill, how can people find you in the uh, social media? Yes, uh, just searching for my name, Jill Simonello, um, all one word. So it's Jill and then C-I-M as in Mary, I-N as in Nancy, I-L-L-O as in Oliver. Um, and Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, I am Jill Simonello and all of those places. Now, Jill, I've also noticed that you have been crazy promoting your YouTube page. Talk about that. I have, yeah. So I kind of abandoned my YouTube channel um, a, a couple years ago uh, when I was working for a different employer and had been building their YouTube channel. And now I'm I'm not with them anymore, and I'm going back to trying to build my own YouTube channel. So I would definitely love a subscribe. Um, I usually post about two things a week. One is a, usually a car review, and then the other is um, something else. I, I'm going to actually post something today, a new feature called uh, Writer's Notes, which is basically me just sitting in the vehicle and touching things and talking about what I'm seeing while I'm sitting in it. So um, yeah, I would love to subscribe. So thank you. Sounds good. And Damon, how can the kids uh, kids keep track of you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Damon Bell Likes Cars, because I do. I do like cars. I but think you, you, have, you have demonstrated that. But you don't love them. You only like them is what I'm getting. I have to be somewhat objective. Yeah. Got it. Yep. All right. All right, kids, I have to do something embarrassing now. I have to admit I made a mistake on last week's quiz. Um, uh, the quiz itself was fine, but I, I actually gave the answer incorrectly. Question three last week was, which of the following cars lists for $33,190? Was it the Buick Envision 1SV or the Ford Mustang EcoBoost Fastback 6-speed? And uh, both of you guys actually guessed correctly, and I told you you were wrong. The Stop. correct answer was was Buick Envision. So, Damon, this is most important to Damon, was not shut out last week. I'm not shut out. I was on the board. I can rest easier now. Yeah, but but let's be clear. Up. I still won. You still won. Jill still okay. won. Jill, <laughs> sure. Damon was not shut out. All right. So we have a new quiz today. This is the Car Stuff Podcast Power Quiz. And the uh, the subject is Toyota 2020. Ah. Are you kids ready? Yes. Yes. Current product. All right. Which of the following is not a 2020 Forerunner trim level? Nightshade Edition, Venture Special Edition, SR5 Premium, or TRD Desert Runner? Who goes first this week? Is it me? I, I think, think it might be me. Is it you? All right, Damon goes yeah. first. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to have you read through those again. I, I'm going to guess the Venture Edition. All right. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Did you? Is it, is it Venture or Adventure? Venture. No ad. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll say that one. I'm going to go with the TRD Desert Runner. Oh, Jill takes an early lead. Uh, yes, there is no TRD Desert Runner. Okay. All right, question two. Is the base price of the CHR, that is Toyota's subcompact crossover, is the base price of the CHR Limited more or less than $29,000? I Jill? am going to say... More. Uh, I will agree with her. I will agree with Jill. You're both wrong. The base price of the CHR Limited, which is the most expensive version of the CHR, is $27,470, including destination. Ah. No, no one scores there. Okay. Which of the following is not a Highlander LE color option? Moondust, Opulent Amber, Blueprint, Amber Dusk. Um, 
I'm going to say Amber Dusk. And I will say Opulent Amber. Oh, Damon gets it. Back uh, on the board. Uh, I knew it had to be one of the one Ambers. Ooh, All right. Neck and neck. To, we're getting down to some nitty gritty here, kids. What is the stated battery only range of the Prius Prime plug-in hybrid? Ooh. Is it 18 miles, 22 miles, 25 miles, or 28 miles? Uh, I will say 25. Uh, can you uh, read through them again, Tom? Uh-huh. 18, 22, 25, 28. Hmm. I will say 25 as well. You're both right. You are tied 2-2. Two, two. All right. Uh, all right. This is a good one. How much is the TRD handling package on the base Toyota 86? That is Toyota's rear drive sports car. This package is included on the GT, but it is optional on the base car. Is it more or less than $2,500? Uh, boy, I just drove one of these recently. Fun little car. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to say, oh, and I... I'm going to say more. Yeah, I'm also going to say I'm, more. You are and both I haven't, wrong. I'm like, and I haven't driven it recently. Ah. So I think that gives me a half a point because I haven't driven it recently. <laughs> it's 2320 bucks. That's for the. TRD. I knew it was. I knew it was close. Mm -hmm. I knew it was. Yeah. So we are tied at 2 2. When we get to the bonus question, we have a tiebreaker uh, today. So All we right. cannot you, answer the same. We cannot answer the same way on this one. Well, you can. You can end in a tie. All right. <laughs> Honestly, when I when I when I choose when I choose uh, based on that criteria, I usually come out on the losing end. So, <laughs> <laughs> the just to make it interesting strategy doesn't work well for me. <laughs> All right. Which of the following was not a 1988 Toyota model? Cressida, Celica, Corona, or Starlet? Oh, by the way, that's U.S., which was not a yeah. U.S. Oh, that's a tough one. Is it you or is it me first? It might be you. Um, I honestly have no clue because 88 is before I even started thinking about cars. Um, so I'm going to. Huh? What was wrong with you? I wasn't driving yet. So what's the point? Um. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with the Corona and it's probably not that because, you know, it's too obvious of an answer right now. 88. Yeah. I'm hung up on in between the Corona and the Starlet. I can't remember if the Starlet stuck around that long. Hmm. Well, based on my, when I just make it interesting, I come out on the losing end. So I will say Corona as well. <laughs> Oh, Damon, it was the starlet. <laughs> ah, I can't win. No, you can't. You tied. Yeah, the starlet oh, disappeared man. after 1984. So there you have it. It is a tie. This week's uh, ends in a 3-3, three, three, no, 2-2 two, two tie. No one gets an autographed right. copy of the quiz. Oh. All right. What do, you, what do you do with them? What do you do with those uh, pages then when nobody wins? I'll be honest, I haven't printed them out. Oh, okay. Okay. So no trees have died for the purposes of, of entertaining me. All right. Hey, <laughs> hey, Damon. Yes. What's going on at the CG Daily Drive uh, blog? Uh, we have our usual roster of uh, test drive reviews and a couple other fun things as well. Um, we've got a review of the 2020 Volkswagen Passat. Uh, that's a... Uh, heavily refreshed. Well, I shouldn't even say heavily refreshed. Just a a restyled uh, but not redesigned uh, update of Volkswagen's midsize sedan. Um, probably a smart strategy, given that most uh, buyers are are moving to SUVs instead of midsize sedans these days. But uh, they did just enough to kind of keep it looking fresh and and updating the interior some as well. 
and the attributes that the Passat has long had carry over. Uh, chief among those is a very spacious back seat. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a drive report on that. Uh, we've got a drive report. Uh, speaking of uh, FCA products and eTorque, we've got a 2020 Ram Laramie review. And uh, this vehicle does have the Hemi with the, the e-torque uh, engine. Very striking uh, red and black uh, color scheme. It's got the night edition package, which is a pretty pricey option uh, at first blush. But it does include, it's, it's got a lot of blackout trim. It's a $3,495 option, which yeah. sounds like a lot for just appearance stuff. But it does include some uh, 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 features beyond that as well. A lot of curb uh, appeal with that package, though. For sure, for sure. And interestingly, the the price tag is certainly up there because this thing is loaded to the hilt with options. It started out at uh, the base price of 46740 And oof, <laughs> as Ooh. tested price, $68,615. But as we said, it comes with a ton of stuff. And interestingly, it's a Laramie. Uh, which is sort of on the lower end of the Ram trim level roster. Uh, but again, the Ram nailed it with the interiors in these new pickup trucks. And this Laramie is no exception. Uh, just a, a great looking interior uh, and a very high end feel, even though it's, a, it's sort of on the lower end of the, the Ram uh, model roster. Uh, and we've also got a 2020 Cadillac XT5 Sport review. Uh, XT5 is slightly updated for 2020. It gets a 2.0 liter four-cylinder as its new base engine. However, this vehicle we drove had the step-up uh, 3.6 liter V6, which is now standard in the Sport model. Uh, again, mild refresh, little styling updates, and uh, updated infotainment system for 2020. Uh, XC5 is a vehicle that has its quirks, but it's still uh, interesting and a lot more cargo space inside than you might expect for a five-passenger midsize SUV that has kind of bobtail proportions. So yeah, uh, full and, test and drive on that. John Beal, the guy who wrote that article for us, he's one of our cohorts here. And, of course, he's the editor-in-chief of Collectible Automobile Magazine, too. But he made note of some price realignment at Cadillac this year and that the X-T5 actually comes in just slightly more affordable than it had in the past. And, indeed, this one, as tested, was was not as off-putting as some luxury crossovers can be. Yeah, um, yeah they, they revamped the, the trim levels, and it's a little bit uh, – you can, if you're judicious with options, it can be a, a, a decent value. Uh, yeah. This vehicle that we tested is, again, doesn't sound cheap, uh, $59,340 as tested, but in the luxury brand midsize SUV category, that's in a lot of ways the going rate uh, for the yeah. optioned up uh, models these yeah. days. Yeah. Um, and so speaking of, of test drives, we, we, cracked open our, our consumer guide notebooks and we've published a car shopping tips article. I sort of look at this in a, as an especially hopeful uh, article in that it's a checklist of things you should look for when you test drive a vehicle. Obviously for the time being, we're probably not going to have too many people, too many shoppers doing traditional test drives, but right. this is just a thing. It's actually a checklist of things that our editors at consumer guide look for when we're testing mm -hmm. a vehicle. And uh, they'll be helpful for consumers as well. Just things you may forget or, or get glossed over or haven't even considered about things you should look at when you're when you're doing a, a vehicle test drive. Um, and then we always have a gallery article and we've got uh, classic station wagons this week. Lots of fun uh, vintage ads, pr predominantly from the 50s and 60s uh, of some very cool station wagons. And I think, yeah, that pretty much brings us up to speed uh, with what we've got on the blog this week. All right. Hey, Damon, we've only got about three minutes left, but you had a quick question for us. Maybe you can give us your take. Yeah. So in light of the fact that we talked about the Genesis G90, I just wanted to put it out there to both you guys. What you think the odds, what Genesis's prospects for success are moving forward, the Genesis brand? Um is it going to be a Lexus-like success story, or is 
the difficulties of, of getting a new luxury brand off the ground uh, and now the coronavirus on top of that, is that going to be stacked against them? So curious as to your take on the, that question. All right. I'm going to go time limited super fast. I think based on the styling and update of the G90, the success of the G70, which is their compact sedan, and what I think will be the success of the GX80 crossover, I give them much better odds now than I might have two years ago. Um, and I think that even if the brand kind of fades away, Hyundai will continue to see these sell these vehicles under different guys. So uh, I, I think they're good. Yeah, I would agree. I think they're probably good. And I think actually, especially in light of the COVID-19 thing, um, I think that they're probably even better poised to be successful because you're going to have a whole bunch of people who, you know, want luxury amenities or used to luxury amenities, but can't afford luxury amenities anymore. And um, so, you know, they may now be more likely to consider something like Genesis and, and you know, do away with the, the brand name or the brand recognition because, you know, they want a large vehicle or, you know, they want what they want. They just don't want to pay for it. So, I mean, I think we saw that trend after the recession in 2008, which is one of the reasons why Hyundai and Kia started to really do well. Um, and I think that um, with COVID-19, I think that will continue. All right, Damon, yeah. you have 25 seconds. <laughs> real, real, real quickly, I think my, I think it all hinges. It's actually the GV80. That's the 2021 uh, midsize oh, SUV you. that they're coming out with. Yeah, to me, uh, it all hinges on how consumers take to the GV80 because that's going to be their first SUV yeah. to hit the market, and that is the hot uh, category at this point, and that will be the determiner for the Genesis brand as a whole. <laughs> All right. Future of Genesis. Stay tuned. We will watch that and chat more about that, I'm sure. All right. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Special thanks to our guest today, Brian Spawn of Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. Special thanks to Jill Simonello, to Damon Bell, to producer Paul, and the good folks at WCPT AM820 in Chicago. Again, I'm amazed we're able to put this together at all. <laughs> As always, thanks to my radio mentors, Steve and Johnny. You guys are the best. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. We'll be back in seven days.